Hi everybody, I'm Robin Willis, and welcome to another edition of Expat Stories, where we present tales about living life in Expatria, a place where home really is where the heart is. This episode's storyteller is Mike Gust, and was recorded on August 29th at the Atlantis Lounge in Portland, Oregon. In 1968, I was 17, and I was at the end of my junior year in high school, and I got invited out to Willamette University in Salem, Oregon to take this course. It was a college course for kids that were going to go on to college, but they wanted to show them what it was like between their junior and their senior year. So they would invite 300 kids from across the country. That was a pretty good deal for me because I was facing three months of indentured servitude on my father's farm. Um, It was a thousand acres and I would be working dawn to dusk. And if I could get a week, two weeks, three weeks away in the middle of summer, that was great. So I said, yes. And a buddy of mine also got accepted. And my parents being frugal, maybe not so smart, booked us round trip tickets on a train, which added another week. So that was great. So here we are, we hop on the train, we're crossing the country, the landscape's blurring past us, and we're not really sure what's waiting for us at the other end. And we step off a train in Union Station in Portland, Oregon on a beautiful summer morning. And everybody was telling us, the bus station's downtown, kids. You gotta get to Salem, you gotta take the bus, and you have to go through Old Town. And don't look anybody in the eye. And don't talk to anybody. And don't stop for very long to tie your shoe or bend over or go into dark doorways. And we're going, okay, okay. And so we're terrified. So we have our little Samsonite luggage suitcases and our blue and beige wind breakers. And probably we look like mug us now, you know. And so we keep our eyes to the pavement. We rush through Old Town off to the bus stop down to Salem. And there's not much to say about those two weeks. Imagine taking 300 baby giraffes and dropping them in a campus and covering them with a glass dome and watching them bump into each other for 14 days. That was, it was kind of, it was was interesting, but the best part was we met these two guys from Moscow, Idaho, who had ridden their bicycles all the way to Salem. And it took them, I don't know how long, And that was pretty cool, and so we sort of bonded with these guys. But what was even cooler was, they said they knew this guy that lived in Portland in a big house right next to this place called Reed College. And we're going, what's that? And they said, Reed College is one of the coolest schools in the country, and only the coolest kids go there, and everybody's sexually liberated, and there are illegal substances laying around in containers everywhere, and every night there's parties that will blow your mind and change your life, and we're going, can we come? (laughs) So they go, yeah, you can be our guest. So the two weeks in and off to Portland we go, excited, we're waiting for this Xanadu Pleasure Dome. You know, the doors of heaven are going to open and we're going to escape from our little lives in the Midwest and we're going to see the real world, the world, the exotic bohemia. So we get to Portland, we call, the guy that's got the contact calls the guy out of Reed and 
Well, some hitchhikers had beat us to it, and there was no room at the inn. So they said, well, stay downtown for the night. There's some, like, there's some cheap hotels up behind Nordstrom's or something. So let me tell you about this hotel. We walk in the door. One guy walks in and books the room, and then we all sneak up because we don't want to pay for four rooms because we don't have any money. We're 17. We're already over budget. So the lady at the counter has got this look in her eye like she could burn holes through your heart. And she's got this cigarette, this unfiltered camel hanging from her mouth. And her lips, she's got this lipstick on that's like liver colored. And, the, and she's like of indeterminate age, anywhere between 20 and 80. And we walk across the floor and the carpet had sort of mutated into this sort of fungus gelatinous sort of life form that squelched as as you walked across it, you know, and, and the, the elevator, it was like this vertical coffin that creaked and moaned as it slowly rose floor to floor to floor. And you could beat the thing if you walked backwards up the stairs. If you didn't mind the smell of urine and the strange dark spots on the steps and the wall. So we're in the room, four of us, and it's disgusting. So we go, okay, let's get out of here. Let's go explore Portland. So we head out the door and we head downtown. The first thing we come to is the Hilton Hotel. And the Sierra Club is having their annual convention. And they just had a speech about progressive environmental issues. And everybody's standing around drinking cocktails. It's cocktail hour. And we're 17. And we're noticing that nobody's really paying attention to their drinks. They're setting them on the table, and they're all clustered together, passionately discussing environmental issues. So we hit like sharks. We spread across the room, and we start slamming drinks right and left. We're talking vodka, rum, gin. And I'd had like two beers my whole life before this, right? So here we are. I'm blind drunk and I'm talking to some woman and telling her that I'm, we're part of an exchange student thing from Seattle and we're heading for Mexico to dig irrigation ditches for three months in the sun. And she starts asking questions and my story totally falls apart and I'm stumbling around and so we decide we better get out of there. So we head out onto the street and it's Friday night in 1968 in Portland and the cruisers are out. And these, this is an amazing, this was an amazing event. Kids from all over were coming in from the suburbs, from Beaverton, from Gresham, from the east side, from the hills, and their souped up hot rod Lincolns and their Chevys and their Fords, and they were running up and down the streets, honking their horns and having little drag strips from light to light, and the kids were screaming at each other from window to window, and girls were jumping from one car to the other, and the cops were chasing them up and down the side streets, and we're really drunk, and we're going, this is unbelievable. This, this was, I had never been to Vegas, but this, I was overawed. The sensory input was staggering. I, the sounds and the lights and the people and the humanity, and I said, I could live here. I could do this. This is incredible. This beats the tractor. It's like amazing. So one of us was feeling a little dizzy, so we decided to head down a side street and sort of gather our wits. And we're standing there while he's doing his thing in the bushes, and um, suddenly, a little further up the street, as if a sign, 
these six hippies step out of the brush and look at us. And they're wearing little bells and ribbons and patchouli scent clouds are coming up. And then they mysteriously turn and walk towards the West Hills. And we're standing there and we're going, we must follow them. They're going somewhere really, really amazing. So we start following them. We're not, we're not very subtle about it. They know we're behind them. So up past Central Library we go, up to Lincoln High School, and we stop at the ridge overlooking Goose Hollow. And they stop right under the street light, and we're about a half a block away, and we're watching them, and we're beginning to wonder, what's going on? And this one girl turns around, and just as she turns, she was 19, long hair, long skirt, and the wind swept up from the Goose Hollow, and it caught her, and the skirt swirled, and her hair across her face, and she kind of went with it. And she sort of reached up to the sky, like she was gonna pluck a star, like a diamond out of the sky and give it to us. And she lowered her hand. And I'm standing there completely having my Hollywood moment, right? <laughs> this is like frozen in time. The first time in my life, I'm in my body. I know what, my, what I'm here on earth to do. And then she sort of grins and she throws it down, the imaginary star, and smashes in my imagination on the ground. And I turn around to my friends to see if they saw what I saw, and they're gone, they're heading down the hill. And I turn back around, and the hippies are gone, they're heading down the hill. So I hurry up to get behind to my friends, and the guy who had booked the hotel sort of forgot to tell us that there was a curfew at 10.30 and it was midnight. So we get back to this hotel, and the door is locked, and there's an overnight buzzer, so we start pushing the overnight buzzer. And about 10 minutes later, the counter clerk in her house coat and her cigarette arrives, furious at the door, and she sees these four high school kids breathing gin fumes at her. With her we're cross-eyed, our eyes are red, and she could tell we'd snuck into the room. And she called us every name in the book. She called us drunken hooligans and sexual deviants and lawbreakers. And she was going to kick us out, but she decided to leave us, stay the night. First thing in the morning, we're out the door, go. So we stumble out in the morning. We're hungover. And we call, we call the guy at Reed, our contact. And he said, well, we had a big party. And the hitchhikers are kind of lingering. And click. So we're like, whoa, I guess we need to find another hotel. So we found another hotel, but first we stocked up at the grocery store. We got chips and soda and sandwich makings. And then we went into another hotel and pulled basically the same scam, sneaked up to the room. But this time we did not leave that room. We stayed there all afternoon in this sweaty little room waiting, eating our chips and drinking our soda and fantasizing how great it was going to be when we finally got to Reed College, to this house, and this amazing, amazing adventure we were about to set out upon. And we spent all night there and just waiting. And the next morning we called and they said, yes, you can come. The hitchhikers have disappeared. So we rushed out of the hotel and the, and the guys from Idaho had locked their bicycles at to the top of a parking garage and they go up there and they get their bicycles and they pedal off. And me and my friend hop on a bus and we take off and we're halfway to Beaverton and we realize we're going in the wrong direction. So we get off the bus and 
we take off in the other direction and we're in Selwood and that's not it either. So then we find another bus and we finally end up at 39th and Woodstock. We get off and there's the house two doors down. And there's the guys from Idaho sitting on the steps looking morose and sad. And I'm thinking, whoa, this isn't good. So they, we walk up and I go, what's wrong? And they say, there's a problem. So we go inside and there's this little skinny guy, white guy with the biggest afro I've ever seen in my life. And he's like the house Nazi. And he goes, we have no idea who you are, why you were here. We thought we were talking to somebody else. You obviously are not anybody we were gonna invite to this house. So you can stay the night, you stay out of the kitchen, the bathroom, if you plug it up, you clean up the mess. You sleep on the porch, preferably. You can stay in the living room. And then he walked off. And the rest of the people were pretty nice, but I mean, it was, they sort of, I, I was sitting there and I got it, you know. I'm, I wasn't an exotic. I wasn't taking this spiritual path to India and back. And I wasn't going up and down 101 and from Canada to Mexico and returning with wild stories and bales of, of pot. And I was this little dorky kid from the Midwest and my windbreaker and my little Samsonite luggage. And, this isn't what they thought. They totally thought someone else was coming. So the next morning we leave, and it was a low point of my little trip to Portland. And I was, I was bummed out. I was expecting this big open-armed adventure, this big sloppy kiss of a town. And instead it was sort of a slap in the face kind of place. And everybody seemed sort of distant and cool towards us. And, all I wanted to do was just go back to the farm and just become indentured or something, get on the goddamn tractor and just drive back and forth. And so we decided to go down through Reed College, the little creek that goes through Reed College, and we figured we can hide in the bushes for two days and no one will find us and then we can, our ticket will be good and we can go. But then they found us after about eight hours, kicked us off, said we were trespassing and the Idaho guys finally threw their hands up in disgust. They took off east on Woodstock and waved goodbye. We took the right bus this time down to downtown Portland, checked into yet another hotel with yet another semi-fungi lobby and vertical coffin elevator. And the next morning we jumped on a train and we turned to the Midwest. Three days later, I was on a tractor. And I was talking to my mom the other day and I was saying, I I'm doing this story for this event about expatia, and all these people are gonna be from exotic places and going to exotic places and doing incredible things, and basically all I'm talking about is going from central Illinois to Oregon and back. And she sort of laughed. I said, what are you laughing about? She goes, you're perfect for this. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, you came out of the womb, homeless kid. She goes, you've been looking for a home your whole life. You've never been comfortable in your skin. I'm going, mom. And she goes, when you were two, we would catch you running down the road, dragging a loaf of bread in your diapers. And then we would pick you up and we'd go, where are you going? And I'm saying, away, away, I'm away. And I, so I guess she's right, you know? And, I thought about that and I thought, well, maybe this will work. So I go through, I go through my senior year in a blur. I'd go dark. I'd start hanging out with sketchy people. True to form two days after graduation and I throw everything in my car and I tell them I'm gonna go find myself. 
and they sort of figured that was coming. So I drive off down this gravel road eight miles, and I finally come to the highway. And I, I'm pointing south. And if I turn left, I go east. If I turn right, I go west. I had no idea which way to go. I could flip a coin, but that seemed kind of trite. So then I remembered that girl on that ridge in Goose Hollow, and she wasn't smashing something in front of me. It was the universe talking to her. X marks the spot. This is where I go. And I said, Portland, that's it. And I turned right and I sped off. And I never made it there for 11 years. I <laughs> took a few side trips and lived in a few more towns on the way. But in 1979, I rolled into town and I've been here ever since. And you know, there's days when I don't feel like I belong here either, but I'll tell you, it's, I have to live in a not home. This is the best not home I've ever found. Thank you. Mike Gust is a writer, location scout, and location manager for movies, television, and commercials. His books are available from Amazon.com and other online purveyors. For more information on stories, go to expatstories.org. That's expat with an X. Music by Three Leg Torso, and thanks for listening.